Well, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for braving the weather. Um, this is actually um, the Sunday each year where we uh, are supposed to celebrate the baptism of Christ. It's the baptism of Lord Sunday, which is uh, why we ordered up so much rain uh, to cover both the Baptists and the Presbyterians in the room. Um, and, I, and I love that scripture, and I love that story, but as, if you listened earlier and you heard the New Testament scripture, you realize a couple of things. It probably sounded pretty familiar, more so than just because maybe you've gone to church before, but uh, half of that scripture was uh, used in the lectionary text uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. And then uh, the part on Jesus' baptism, as we were going through our series on church practices, you remember we talked about baptism. Uh, and Colby gave us a, 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 a great sermon uh, on baptism, which uh, I loved. And uh, you, you remember that she reminded us that baptism confirms three truths about us, that you belong, that you are beloved, and that you are enough. Uh, and, and I loved that. It was my, my favorite sermon I've heard in a while. So I was, to be honest, just really tempted to steal those three points and just re-preach her sermon because um, it just seems like the kind of good news we could always be reminded of, right? Uh, but we did record it. It is online. I would be, you know, arrested or whatever happens for plagiarism. So you'll just have to go back and rewatch that if you want to. But I felt a little stuck. What do I preach about? Uh, these are all verses that we've just covered very recently. Uh, and then I looked at the Old Testament scripture for this week and saw that it was just one of my absolute favorite scriptures uh, in all of the Bible. Um, it is a perfect passage to complement the baptism of Jesus story, which I assume is why it was uh, selected uh, in the lectionary. And the themes run so closely together, and tonight I want to just look at Isaiah 43. Uh, it is a message of hope written to a people who are in desperate need of some good news. Um, right at a time uh, when this is written, uh, Israel, who it is written to, is not exactly a glowing hero in their own story at the moment, right? Historically speaking, they're a relatively small and unsuccessful nation. Uh, they are conquered. Uh, they're in exile. Uh, globally speaking, they're pretty unimportant. None of their dreams are coming true. None of the things that were supposed to be happening are happening the way they were supposed to. The one thing they have going for them is that they are God's people. They are the chosen ones, but even that is not going well at the time, right? They have been disobedient. They have failed to do the things they were supposed to do, and they promised to do, that they covenanted with God to do. And God has, according to the text, removed his hand of protection from them. And so Babylon came along, and now they are in exile. <clears throat> they have lost their home. They have lost all that helped to define who they are. The world as they knew it, the world as it should be, as they thought they, it had been promised to be, is no longer true for them. They are in exile. Uh, all the things that they hope for do not resemble the world as it is. In fact, the verses immediately preceding chapter 43, the very end of chapter 42 of Isaiah, uh, verses 24 and 25 say this, Who gave up Jacob to the spoiler and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways we would not walk and whose laws we would not obey? So we poured upon him in the heat of his, the heat of his anger and the fury of war. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him, but he did not take it to heart. Not exactly the scripture you want to read your kids right before bedtime. It's the summation of a people in crisis, disoriented and dismayed children of God who have gotten themselves into exile 
and still not, cannot wrap their minds around how it happened or what to do next. And I know none of you can relate. I know that none of us have experienced anything in this last couple of years that stopped the world as we knew it or we thought it should be and we believed it to be or believed how it should act out. None of us have experienced anything in the last couple of years that stopped the world as we knew it and presented us instead with realities that we don't want and we aren't sure how to navigate. None of us have any experience with anything like that. I don't know about you, um, but that's what the last couple of years have felt like to me. A little bit of exile. Stuck between a couple of realities. In many ways, I understand very deeply uh, that I don't have it that bad. Right? That countless people uh, that I know in, in the world have, a, have had it much worse, have had much harder time than I have had. I get that. I acknowledge it. I own it. But also... In beginning, now that we're approaching as long as we have in this whole new reality we've been living in, I'm beginning to literally, I feel like, feel in my own body how hard this season has been in ways that I, I maybe am not even conscious of, right? Things feel like uh, a grind that shouldn't feel like a grind right now. Um, I'm even thinking just physically, I, I don't feel like I'm exhausted or anything, but it turns out I've, or maybe I'm just reaching that age, that's possible. But anytime I sit still, I fall asleep right now. Sarah was making fun of me for snoring on the couch yesterday in like one minute flat. Just sitting straight up, nodded off and started snoring. Like, again, I'm not conscious of it, but I, I'm kind of wore out on some level. And I think we all are. If you are like that, if you, and I, and I hope, I don't, I don't want that for you, but I hope I'm not alone in that then maybe we should spend some time reading the words of God that follows those uh, not-so-nice verses in, in chapter 42. Isaiah 43, 1 through 7 says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. From the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, and whom I formed and made strong. Right, as I was writing the sermon, I was tempted just to read that scripture two or three times and call it a night. This is one of those scriptures, one of those writings for me that if I spend too much time talking about these verses instead of just listening to them, it just feels wrong. There's so much here for the exiled, for the lost, for the wounded, for those who feel like they're facing uncertainty or danger in a disorienting world. This is a litany 
of hope for the exile. You are created. You need not fear. You are redeemed. You will face dangers and trials, but you will not be alone. You will not be overcome. You are God's. You are precious in God's sight. God honors you. God says, I love you. You will be brought home. You are called by name. Amen and amen to all of that. We need these words when we are in the midst of an exile because we must be constantly reminded of at least two major things. And I'll just talk about these couple things and we'll be done tonight. We need to be reminded in exile of who we are and whose we are. And who you are is a never-ending battle, right? Because our worlds have a way of trying to rename us through every season and station of our life. Society itself, our jobs, our victories, our failures, our tragedies, all carry their own names for us. You're young, you're naive, you're old, you're wore out, you're a graduate, you're a dropout, you're a manager, you're a doctor, you're a CEO, you're a felon, you're a widower, you're a victim. The good, the bad, the ugly of our lives all categorize us, give us names that are intended to give a shorthand to who we are and quickly define us, to tell us who we are. And often, if you're anything like me, we believe the names. I have accepted many names in my life, many of them destructive, because we just want to know who we are. And sometimes you accept the names that are given to us even when we shouldn't. We all long for a good name. I learned this very clearly when I first began to preach. Uh, it was not something I ever planned on doing. Uh, in, in high school, my biggest, deepest fear was being in front of a group of people. In fact, I, I remember giving a, a, like an oral report in like 11th grade one time where I had to stand up in front of the class and just read the report that was written on a sheet of paper. And I was shaking so bad I couldn't read it. So I just sat down and took the F. Like that was my nightmare. Got to college, some things happened. Some people started kind of pouring into me and asking me to get up in front of groups. And I somehow did it. And it started to become a part of my life. And then I, uh, I applied to be a camp pastor at a, full, at a summer camp that you know would last all summer, where I'd have to preach every night. I was completely unqualified. And uh, because someone who got the job, who was more deserving of me, quit at the last minute, I got the call because I had nothing else to do. I had to go to this training a couple weeks before the summer started where all the heads of the camps and the, the worship person and the pastor and all that kind of stuff from all the camps all got together for training. And I walked in, uh, and I did not belong <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I had long hair at the time, wore thrift store clothes, the whole nine yards. Everyone assumed I was the music guy, although I can't play the guitar or anything. But as we all met together, all the staffs from various camps got together, and I would meet everyone and everything. And uh, everyone would introduce themselves by their name, except the camp pastors. Camp pastors would always introduce themselves by their title among this group. And I noticed it right away because it was weird. I would stick out my hand and I'd say, hey, I'm Mike. And someone would say, hey, I'm the camp pastor for the Nashville camps. Or I'm camp pastor for Union or for in California. Or I'm camp pastor for... The... And I'd be like, 
whoop de doo what's your name? I don't care what you're doing, right? And I think, again, I think everyone thought I was a music guy, so they were kind of trying to establish, you know, some kind of authority or something uh, with me. I'm not sure. But it was always said in a way where I could tell I was supposed to be really impressed, which just made me more nervous about the fact that that was my job too, and I knew me, right? I've never heard the word pastor used so much in my entire life than that group of 20 to 25-year-olds who thought they knew it all. As if talking to a bunch of junior high kids every night for a summer for $200 a week made you a boss or something, right? It's bizarre. But I can tell you by the end of the summer, I kind of liked the name too. Got a lot of pats on the back, got a lot of attaboys. Maybe pastor had a nice ring to it. Because it carried some value. It carried something with it. Right? We all want a good name. Uh, I, had, I had to struggle with that a lot. In fact, it's one of the reasons I'm still uncomfortable uh, with the title. Because of the way some people act when they hear it. And that's a bit of a silly example. But it demonstrates what is true about all of us. Which is to say that we all long for a name. For an expression to ourselves and to the world about who we really are. Who am I, right? And Isaiah says, I have called you by name, says the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to read as an exile, as someone who's not sure who they are anymore. An exile, by definition, is someone who no longer has many of the things that once named them. How can you be an Israelite without an Israel? Right? How can you be God's people when it seems God has left you on your own? How can we be holy without our temple or without our religious expressions? How can we be any of the things we have named ourselves to be anymore? And while you may not have been in the same kind of exile as Israel was at this point, you've had your own exile. You know how this works. You've had your names taken from you. A marriage ends and you literally have to change your name. You've always been someone's child, and now technically that's not true anymore. The job was who you were, and now it's no longer there. You were the life of the party, but now you're sick, or you're always in pain, or you struggle uh, to put a smile on your face at all. Our names come and go, and our security goes with them. But God still calls us by our true name. We follow a God who knows who we really are, even when we no longer know. God is still there. God is with us because God knows who we are. Not in spite of it. Because God knows who we are. And God calls us beloved. God calls us sons and daughters of the Creator called you by name. I know who you really are. You are truly known and you are loved. And that's the combination we're all looking for, isn't it? I read this week, I've never heard this before. I didn't have time to read the entire Bible and figure it out. I'm going to take the person's word for it. I read this week that this passage is the only place in Scripture where that direct phrase is used by God. I love you. 
Now, obviously, all of Scripture is a story of God's love for us and is said and demonstrated in countless ways, but this is the only place where it is simply and directly uttered by God. In the midst of our exile, God says simply and directly, I know your name, you are mine, I am with you, and I love you. And I don't know about you, but in exile, that's what I most need to hear. I know you, and I love you. We can know the answer to the most important question while we seek to survive whatever exile we find ourselves within. We can know who we are by knowing whose we are. You are God's beloved and you are not alone. I don't know what your exile is, but I know this to be true. And there's so much about the last couple years that has made us all question so much of what we knew to be true, of what we were unknowingly defined by and had always accepted to be true of ourselves and our world. So much has gone out the window in the last couple years. We've all experienced exile. We've all, to one degree or another, been exiled from the world as we knew it and hoped it would be. But exile is not the end of the story. So let the litany of hope we read today really penetrate the truest parts of who we are. Let it divide spirit and soul. Know who you are because you know whose you are. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, and whom I formed and made. Amen. Let's pray.